0: Hello, and welcome to this special Wednesday edition of Trek's in Sci-Fi. This is Rico, and today will be podcast number 112 for March 28th, 2007. Gonna have a special interview show for you this Wednesday evening, so stand by. Here we go. Rico. re, re-, re- Rico. Rico. Trek's in Sci-Fi. Sci-Fi. Captain, incoming message. A weekly dose of sci-fi and Star Trek information.
1: Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. I know this ship like the back of my hand. Treks
0: Sci-Fi. Well, welcome again to Treks in Sci-Fi, everyone. This is Rico, your host, If you're new to the show, welcome, and welcome to everyone that's listened to uh, several episodes of Treks in Sci-Fi. Doing a special Wednesday edition show today. This was recorded uh, last weekend, on actually on March 24th, on Saturday. Over the past weekend, I sat down and did a Skype uh, conversation interview with a a fan that's uh, trying to make a career in writing and some movie work and things like that. Uh, His name is Sebastian Pruth. He's a young gentleman living in England right now, and I'm not going to say that much. We talk quite a long time about a variety of topics, Star Trek, uh, things about the shows that we like and the different series, a lot of different topics, but uh, just try to uh, sit back and relax, and that interview will be coming up here in a a minute or so. Going to do a regular show this coming weekend. It's going to all be about animated uh, cartoon-type shows, primarily Saturday morning shows over the past uh, decades some of my favorites and if you've got uh, any comments you'd like to make to uh, feel free to uh, always send those into the show at treksf at gmail.com or call the voicemail line 20688 Treks. And that's about all I would like to say before we get uh, going on our interview call with uh, Sebastian. I'm not going to come back at the very end of the interview because it's rather long. It's over an hour long, maybe about an hour and ten minutes. But uh, I will display some ending theme credit music at the end of the interview. I hope everyone enjoys this. Sebastian was a great guest, and I will definitely be having him back on the podcast in the future. We may be doing some group uh Star Trek episode commentaries, which uh, we're gonna work out a little bit on the details. So, here I go. Uh, here's Rico and Sebastian talking about Trek and other things. So, stand by. All right, today, everyone, we have Sebastian Pruth. Is that correct, Sebastian? Am I saying that? Uh, yep. Your last Pruth. name? Yep. Pruth, as in it rhymes with truth.
2: <laughs> the truth, was it the proof? Yes. <laughs> yes, you've probably heard that
0: numerous times. Sebastian Pruth is a blogger and somebody who is very knowledgeable about Star Trek. And he and I have uh, corresponded a few times over email, and I thought uh, the people that listen to Treks in Sci-Fi would appreciate uh, listening to some of his you know, background and things that he's had uh, in his life that have gone on related to Sci-Fi and Star Trek. So welcome to the show, Sebastian.
2: Well, thanks, Rick. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Good, good. Well, for people uh, that uh, may not have heard of you, and just to give you, let you speak in your own words. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background, and and then we'll get things rolling.
2: I can't believe you think that nobody's heard of me. I, I thought I'd be that famous. <laughs> well, you know, no, with the, uh... you
0: know, with the internet these days, it's 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 kind of amazing. I, I I had somebody not to digress too much before you get into it, but I mean. There was somebody on a on what was it another website or, or I was in a chat somewhere with some group and they said, "Is this Rico from Trexan Sci-Fi?" And I was like flabbergasted that that like oh I think I know what it was I think it may even have been in an online game and maybe it was the name I was using I was using the name Rico in the game for my cat character. And they and I said, "Yeah, this is Rico from Drex and Sci-Fi." And I and I'm like, "Oh yeah, I listen to your show all the time." And I'm like, <laughs> you're, "You're kidding me, right? Who's paying you to say that?" So, uh,
2: yeah, well, it's even scarier, Rick, when they recognize you in public, which has only happened twice. Well, but that, I tell you, that's uh, yeah, really but I scary. I didn't mean
0: to stop you. So go ahead, yeah, Sebastian. Let let everybody know about. Uh, what you uh have been up to for the last uh, you know a couple of years online and podcasting and all that?
2: Wow, um well, oh, that's a big one. In two minutes or less, no. go <laughs> Star Trek has been a constant for me for the last fifteen years. Um, I started with t n g like everyone in my generation probably did, and um, just kind of always been very interested in it, and it's always held my interest to the point where i 've wanted to understand the production side of it as much as the uh-huh. actual story, so for me, Star Trek is about the guys who direct produce light gaff whatever the the scenes and and it 's all about that part of it rather than i do, I do know Star trek and the and the stories and the episodes God knows why but right. <laughs> some of the scripts all the way through but um
0: but you were more you you were more interested in the actual you know, how the production was done, who worked on what, what they you know, what their different roles were behind the scenes, that kind of thing. What what oh, it all took to yeah. to put the T V series and the episodes and the movies together, rather than just from, you know, the uh like a fan perspective of oh, I really like that episode or this actor and that.
2: Absolutely. And it went from being interested in that to building and um speaking to a lot of the different replica prop makers in the Star Trek community. Oh, okay. Uh, so Definitely. I did a, a lot, I built a lot of tricorders, and phasers and phaser rifles and communicators and <laughs> all all that stuff. So when I see it on the show I go, "Oh, I know what year that was made and it's 7173 in plasticoat and it's really really sad."
1: <laughs> right, right. So.
2: But other than that, the prop interest kind of dropped away after a couple of years. I mean, I don't actually own any now. I used to have a huge collection of them, and I just kind of got rid of them. You'd be amazed how much some people would pay for those
0: things. So you had a lot of the, what's called the, the screen-used items, the actual things that were N-
2: from, No, all or, stuff or, that I made myself. Re- um, oh, yeah. I
0: got you, replacement or like replicas, not mm-hmm. not screen-used yep. things. Okay, so go ahead, Dan.
2: And then, um, well, uh, in 2005, I started being interested in podcasting. I did a show called From the Director's Chair which lasted about 17 episodes, which is longer than a lot of podcasts last, but certainly isn't.
0: Oh yeah, particularly definitely. Long. There, are, there are a lot that you know it sounds all good and then they do two or three shows and they realize, wow, this is a lot of work every week and that kind of thing or mm-hmm. how often they do them. and it's, uh, it is hard to keep it going, that's for sure. So so from from the director's chair the now that was uh, what were you looking at with that particular podcast?
2: The main focus of that show started with my interest in filmmaking, which obviously stemmed from Star Trek, and then uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about cameras and things, and I realized about show 15 that I really wasn't talking about any of those things, that I was talking about technology, and because I've always been a little bit of a geek, but not, you know, not calculating pi in my sleep kind of thing.
1: Uh huh, okay.
2: But uh, it was. it was around that time that I just started to go, okay, maybe this is more technology. Maybe I'm a geek. So I started another show called um, Global Geek Podcast with a guy uh, in Australia. And I did that with him for about seven months and um, left to continue doing what I'm doing now, which is more the blogging thing and writing. And... But Star Trek's been there the whole time. It's crazy.
0: Now when you did the the Global Geek Show with so you're saying that that was more of a tech oriented uh show uh like computers and and gadgets and that kind of thing?
2: It was um explaining technology uh and making it work with you at a level that was understandable while keeping it funny. We wanted to keep it really lighthearted and
0: funny. Okay, well that that's interesting. Now did how did you get hooked up with someone from Australia to do that?
2: Well, that was an interesting story. A friend of mine who lives in the Netherlands was talking to me one day, and she says, "Hey, there's somebody here who is a podcaster who I think you'd like to meet." I was like, "Okay," and so we started talking. Dave Gray and I, and we spoke for seven hours that day.
0: Wow! Oh my goodness! It was
2: just like this, this. This we got along like a house on fire, and it didn't stop. I mean, I think by the end of the day that um, I had suggested that he and I should do a podcast together. And um, he wanted to do it. He'd wanted to start a podcast for a long time, but never actually, you know, decided to make that leap. Right, right. And uh, when he finally did, um, that's what happened. We were just um, started the show, the Global Geek Podcast, globalgeekpodcast.com, Everybody, you could still get to it. He has a new co host, and uh, they're still going. I guess they're around show forty two or something now. I don't actually listen to a, okay, a so lot he's, of podcasts. Uh...
0: So he's he's still going. Basically, you, you decided to move off into a different direction, and mm-hmm. and he's still keeping the or doing that show. So, well, that's that's real interesting. Yeah, it's 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 interesting how you know people that enjoy Star Trek and are into you know either the behind the scenes or just from a fan perspective and podcasting and computers and gadgets. It, it, you know, it all it's all kind of a nice. I, I hate to use these catchwords, but kind of a nice synergy thing where a lot of these things can kind of benefit each other. I know when I started off, uh, you know, been a lifelong Star Trek fan and, and always kind of a, a computer, you know, jockey geek guy also. And then when podcasts got, you know, a, a little bit uh, more, more popular and iPods and all that, I think we were talking before we started recording about, you know, I decided that it was time to do a Star Trek podcast, uh, primarily at least, and, and also sci-fi. For myself, and because of, I don't know what it is about Star Trek fans a little bit, but you tend to like these kind of things, computers, and maybe it's the futuristic element, but it it helps a lot. You know, I know I've known a few people that have wanted to start shows too, podcasts and websites and things like that, and if you don't really have a little bit of, either a little bit of background or some basic understanding of how these, uh, on the technical side of how all this stuff goes together, it is kind of difficult you know, there's. It's not something you, you can um, just. You know, they are making it easier, I think, these days. But all I'm saying is the the Trek fans out there and the sci-fi geeks uh, in general seem to take to this stuff a little bit easier.
2: Oh yeah, and um, one thing that um, people always say about Star Trek fans are Star Trek's fans are are smart smart guys, smart girls, smart people. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it's. Uh, you're you're watching a show that takes a little bit more effort than watching, say, Ricky Lake, uh, <laughs> you know, something like that.
0: Oh and no! You, come you, on, I watch Ricky Lake every day. Come on now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, but does she have quantum singularities as their power yeah, source? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, you know, hey, Ricky, what are, what kind of setting do you have on that phaser there? You know, what what are the, what what are you, how are you modulating your shields, Ricky, today or whatever? So
2: yeah, well. It, it, people seem to scrape shields a lot on that show.
0: Yes, I think so. So, yeah, it's uh but yeah, I agree with you. I've heard that a number of times. I've heard that from, you know, at different conventions, the actors and some of the behind the scenes people say the same thing that, you know, Star Trek requires a certain type of person and especially if you're a fan generally, it's somebody that, you know, you've taken the time to to, to kind of learn the lingo a little bit and you, you're, not, you're not just watching it mm, yeah it's, I
2: it's, would say so but I tell you I've been writing a Star Trek script and I called um, Rick Sternbeck the other day just because I had interviewed him a few weeks ago and right, I said Rick right. can you tell me how to blow up this shuttlecraft and need it to crash and I don't quite know the lingo and he goes it's so simple what you need to do is realize that we just use airplane words and change them slightly so tell me ah, what you want the airplane okay. to do and I'll tell you what your shuttlecraft is going to do. So he walked me through it. He said, you have the technical manual? Yes. So I got the technical manual out, and we started looking at it together. And uh, he was telling me, he says, read about impulse and RC, yes, thrusters, and all this it's, it seems like mumbo-jumbo, but it's so clever because these guys sat down and wrote this stuff. What kind of pressure is the fuel manifold under and the warp engines and all that kind right, of stuff? Right, so you just swap it out a, for, you know, that's yeah, the, the, you know, yeah. the
0: impulse uh, Bussard collector or something like that instead of, you know, the, the jet engine turbine or whatever on an airplane. And, and
2: it was so clear. Once he said that to me, I was able to go away and I wrote the entire scene for Geordie's explanation on why... The uh, shuttle had crashed.
0: Well that's uh that's very cool for, for those that might not know that are that are listening, uh let everyone know about Rick Rick Sternbach and what, what his role on uh, Star Trek was.
2: Right. Well Rick Sternbach was the senior illustrator on Star Trek, TNG, and uh Voyager. And he um I don't think he worked on Deep Space Nine. Uh, but Rick Sternbach was extremely Extremely prolific with everything you see on the show—that is Starfleet, that is Klingon, that is Cardassian, especially Cardassian. He designed the the uh, class warship. He designed the Delta flyer. He uh, designed the Voyager. Uh, this this guy—he's um, incredible. <laughs> it was it was truly speaking to somebody who was um, yeah, did, I admired he, for uh, years. Did Rick uh,
0: Sternback did he? Was he one of the? Did he submit designs for you know the Enterprise D from TNG? I'm trying to recall if he was one of the illustrators that submitted some initial designs for the you know for he the might next have generation. Been. I know it's that Enterprise.
2: Andrew Probert designed the Enterprise D. Okay, it was uh, Probert. Uh, okay,
0: only all right, but yeah, he was definitely uh, for for the run of TNG and like you said, Voyager, definitely an influence on the way those shows looked.
2: Oh um, yes, every everything except for the uh, computer. Um, what do they call those things? Elcars panels. Uh the uh the computer the Kudagrams flat panels as well. Yeah, Okudagrams. Because what Mike Okuda
0: worked on those primarily throughout the well just about every series beyond the original series, right? I think he was on everything even up through Enterprise.
2: I yeah, believe. I'm not sure if he worked on the um the motion pictures. I know he worked he was on the set of Star Trek V, because I yeah, was watching they, some special material Yeah, they did tend to bring in some other
0: other people on the on the movies quite a bit, so
2: and, I mean, speaking of uh, Rick, I mean, I should probably mention that on the blog, one of my primary functions is to interview people who are happening in entertainment uh, or ha- have been happening in Star Trek. Recently, I interviewed Eric Stilwell, who, um, uh, to people who don't know, was the um, a production associate on TNG. Yeah, I've seen... Uh, uh, I
0: saw Eric a few times at conventions. He used to do quite a few, few of them when... When the when TNG and Deep Space, he worked on Deep Space as well, right?
2: Yeah, I think I, I don't think he worked on Deep Space. Or he worked he? with okay. um, with Michael Pillar a great deal. He was sort of his right hand man.
0: Well, Pillar was on Deep Space for not maybe the whole run, right? Wasn't he on there for the first two seasons or so? I'm trying to recall. I'm not or sure. he just I, I, would, I wouldn't it. like to speculate. I just yeah. know that
2: he helped. Spe- uh, he helped speculate it. I, I know he helped create it, and. Um, other, other than, you know, Eric Stilwell I uh, spoke to in the interviews, but it's got so many places with um, Dennis Madelone, the uh, stunt coordinator on Star Trek TNG DS9 Voyager.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I've seen he, Dennis before in, in at a con as well. He, I think, uh, he's a pretty energetic guy, obviously. He's a
2: really <laughs> good buddy of mine, is Dennis. He's yeah. a really good guy. And uh, Dan Curry, the uh, visual effects supervisor on right, TNG. Right, Dan, just and, amazing, uh, and amazing And just last things. week, Ron Moore. Um, who um, also did some of the similar Oh, yeah, that Ron
0: Moore guy, that Galactica guy, the traitor. No, no, not (laughs)
2: quite. Oh, I wish I could speak to him, but speaking to Ron Moore. Oh, the other Ron Moore, I'm sorry, Yeah, he he was absolutely fascinating. I was just sitting there in awe because we were talking about motion control and the way you do cameras and different ways, and, you know, it's just
0: fascinating. (laughs) Right, you're talking about Ron Moore, the effects guy. Basically, yeah, Ron not, Moore, he
2: worked some... Um, not Ron you know, Moore,
0: the writer that started on TNG and now is on uh, uh, the executive producer of the new Galactica. Sorry about no, he that. No, has,
2: he hasn't replied to my emails, but oh
1: well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Although he might. He's, he seems like a pretty uh, personable guy, the, the Ron Moore on Galactica at least. Uh, I know he ta- goes off and does talks at universities fairly often and that kind of thing. So you might, you might be surprised, you know, shoot him an email, what the heck, you know.
2: Oh yeah, it's gone. I just um, I haven't heard back from him. So
0: oh yeah, um, okay. There we go. Well, maybe, maybe when he's a little less busy. That's what I've kind of come to uh, to realize a little bit. You know, when these shows are really in production and and they're really, you know, when they just got extended. Galactica did for uh, even more episodes for the fourth season for next year. And these guys, when they're in the heart of it, I just get the idea they don't really have a lot of spare time, and even the little bit of spare oh, time they manage, yeah. I, I think maybe, maybe they probably want to get away from you know the day job kind of thing, which I can completely understand. Oh, so uh, me too, absolutely. So tell everyone then. Okay, so that's some of the things that you've been working on in that. Tell I guess uh, uh, currently you said you mentioned your blog, which mm-hmm. is at. Uh, What's the best website or the best link to get to that? We'll also the, talk the about that. The best
2: link to get to that is um, www.sebrt.com. That stands for Seb's Raw Takes. So okay, S-E-B-R-T. for
0: Seb so for Sebastian. So do people call you Seb or do they call you Sebastian?
2: Um, My closest friends call me Seb. I mean, you can call me Seb if you like, Rick, but um, either either or, really.
0: Okay, all right. So the um, the other thing I wanted to touch upon, which I, I, we didn't really have a chance to talk about either on email or before we started re- uh, recording, is that you are you're an American, but you are currently living in England, correct?
2: That's correct. Yes.
0: So what? Uh. Well, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about why that's the case and what you're doing over in uh, I hate to say it, Jolly Old England because <laughs> oh God. Boy, that, that's that's <laughs> a uh, that's a definitely an American talking. I'm sure. But go ahead and, uh, and let us know about uh, what's going on with you over there.
2: Well, both my parents are English and moved to America in 1980. And uh, we kind Yeah, of
0: I hear the to... little accent slip through once in a while. It's, it's yeah, there, but yeah. it's, not, it's not always there. It, that's... Yeah, it's one
2: of those things. I can say banana, and I can say banana, and I can say can't, and I can say can't, and it all depends on who I'm talking to.
0: Right, right. So, so... <laughs> so both your parents are from, um, from over there.
2: Yeah, both parents are from like right around here where we're living now,
0: which I'm is in, in the in
2: what day West
1: Yorkshire. Yorkshire, okay.
2: And um uh basically uh I was born uh, near Chicago in South Bend, Indiana. Uh lived in uh, Arizona, South Dakota, California, and now West Yorkshire because my mother came back when I was 16 in 2003 mm-hmm. and um, you know, I came with her. So <laughs> I'm here now and I've I guess I've got a slight accent, but I certainly hear it. I uh, when I hear it, I go, "Oh no, I'm, I sound English." <laughs> so I'd, I'd be
0: curious if you're out and about in, uh, out and about in, you know, and do do people think that you're English or do they think you're American?
2: Nobody thinks I'm English.
0: Ah, okay. Well, there's I, your everybody ans-
2: looks at me when I speak. It's it's quite scary. There is your answer,
0: I guess, about your your accent and your you know, uh, which way you end up. You know, going more uh, with the way your speech is, but yeah, it, it comes out a little bit. I was listening to a little bit earlier before we started uh, this morning to your, uh, what you recently put on your blog, a, a full length commentary for s- the movie Star Trek Insurrection. Mm, and as yes. I was listening to it, uh, yeah, I could hear your uh, your accent come through a little bit. Well, why don't you mention you know talk about a little bit about. Uh, And how you ended up doing the the commentary for the movie and and, uh, some of the reasons that you did that. And uh, I I was really uh, fascinated by some of the little details that you uh, came up with and that you knew about some of the production. And and, well, just tell everybody about uh, how that came about.
2: Well, um, I had noticed that some fans, yourself included, were doing commentaries for episodes. and, And I don't know if you've done films.
0: I've done. I've done a few of the. I haven't done
2: Insurrection yet. Oh well. The the reason I started with Insurrection, and I've done First Contact since then, is I sat there and I was thinking, Insurrection. I'm working on a lot of projects right now revolving Star Trek and involving Star Trek Insurrection, and we can get into that in a little in a few minutes here. But um, uh, what really got me going with Star Trek Insurrection was that Jonathan Frakes, the director of Star Trek Insurrection, did not do a commentary that was releasable on the special edition DVD. Oh, okay. He recorded one, but they didn't release it. Apparently, some things were said, and I don't want to, you know, say speculate as to what was said, but obviously we were, you know, deprived of a director's commentary, or any commentary, for example. Oh, for they don't even...
0: I didn't even look at that one of my... Um... On the DVDs, yeah. But even on the uh, the extra edition, or the whatever you call it, the special collector's one with the two discs, there's no... Yeah, I'm just
2: holding that one right now. Text commentary by Michael and Denise Okuda, and that's what right. you've got.
0: I remember that they did that. And didn't they do that? Did they do that for Nemesis as well? I'm trying They've to They've really done remember.
2: all those for, for okay. every single movie I've got here, the specials, they're all Denise and Michael. The
0: text, uh, but there's no audio, no uh, director or people that were in the movie or anything like that for Insurrection, huh? They all kind of well but you said uh but Jonathan did record one but they didn't put it on
2: well that's very... that's right that's great. weird isn't
0: it well yeah you think it it's a little weird i mean it's it's you know no matter what i guess he had to say i i it, it's just odd i mean it must have been you would almost think they could kind of edit it out i guess if they wanted to but maybe it was an all or nothing thing with him it was like well if you're not going to put everything I want to say, then I don't want you to put it in there at all. I don't know how... I don't know how that kind of thing works. I'm assuming that he has to okay it. Okay Well, how they... I,
2: I would assume so, but I know that John Jonathan Frakes is a really, really cool guy. When mm-hmm. I've seen him talking, and I kind of get the feel, this guy's he's, he's a really normal, kind of down-to-earth kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. He I doesn't th- really give a crap about the politics. Right. And for, for him, it's kind of like... Um, all right, this is how it was. This guy was a total whatever. Right. And I'm telling you that because it's true. Yeah. And I spent, guess that's what they don't you know, want to do 2 DVDs. hours on
0: this scene because this guy just couldn't remember his line or you know who knows what it was, but uh, well it it is it's got to be a little tricky, I guess, sometimes with those commentaries. I never really think about it that way. I mean, I I don't sometimes I think people get a little carried away with their you know, well, if a, a particular thing happened, I don't think he's saying it to just you know slam somebody or to to insult them at all. It was like, well, this is the kind of the facts of the situation. It's, it can always be a little skewed by your own perspective, but well, that's kind of unfortunate. So you decided to do a commentary because mm-hmm. there wasn't one, which is uh, which is still almost amazing to me that they they did that, especially with these two disc sets that they put out. You know, you'd think that they could get together with you know some i mean a lot of these actors go off and do conventions and you know you think you could wrangle a few people up that would want to do one although they did was there anyone else involved in that was it just jonathan or were there other people do you know when they on the um they i have close? i
2: have no idea i i'm basically quoting an, an uh like an unnamed source like i don't know who it was who said that so
1: uh-huh.
0: okay. um uh, it could so, it
2: it might be you know total you know malarkey
0: right so anyway you ended up then deciding to take uh Take it upon and, and do some commentary for the for the entire movie, and yeah,
2: absolutely. I decided you know that I'm gonna sit down and I'm gonna do one, and I you know it's not gonna sound like I was there, sure, but I certainly sure. you know kind of know a few things about you know how it was done
0: right, yeah, I, I thought like I said, I got through about an hour of it before uh we started to record here, and it was very interesting, I especially liked some of your comments about the the look of the movie and the uniforms and that kind of thing. It was very, I think, at least from what I recall at the time when that movie rolled around and some of the articles I had read, some of the things that uh, I thought one of the issues was, were, was just strictly budgetary. You know, they were trying to make Absolutely. Uh, a Star yeah. Trek movie uh, with a little less money spent. And there are a few times in the movie, I think it does show, like you mentioned, the uniforms. Maybe not quite as slick looking as they have been in, in the other films and a few other things, but yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, I don't want to take away too much to let people go out and and they can find that via your uh, your website. But uh, so, what else did you um, did you do? A lot of background checks or research before you sat down and did it, or was it things you already knew? Uh, your well,
2: what I did was I watched the movie on my own, mm-hmm. and I thought, okay,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah,
2: and I was about halfway through it and I thought, you know, I'm watching it for no reason. I know this movie so well. I can sit down and commentate and know what's going to come next. Sure. So that sure. I so I turned it off and thought I'm going to waste 2 hours more than I need to to to, to take to do this. So right. I I plugged in the uh mic and I sat down and I started a few times, you know, sometimes I I know you know this from podcasting. You're like it's Monday. Oh, right! Crap, I didn't say that right. It's Monday. <laughs> well, yeah. The, so. the, for everyone
0: that doesn't ever do this, it, the the first like two minutes of of any of any recording are the hardest. Once oh yes. You, once you get rolling, it, it, it's very easy. You, you still have a, occasional stumbles or mistakes or need to pause things, or whatever. But yeah, that first, I don't know how many weeks it's been like, hello everyone, you know, and I'm like, it's, uh, what day is it? Uh, what podcast number is this? What what am I going to talk about this week? Again, you know, I'm looking at, you know, so yeah, it's that first few minutes is a little tricky before you get rolling.
2: Yeah, I remember um, trying to figure out how I was going to tell the audience where to start the commentary. So I figured I would just start right, cause recording you wanted to sync, sync it together. right as the... Paramount logo it starts that little star thing that goes over it right at the beginning of the credits yes, and I thought that is where it starts and so and I wanted to comment about the individual actors who were being credited as it came up and I thought this isn't going to work if I don't say you know you know Geordie Laforge is and it comes up when f Murray Abraham named comes up or whatever, it just I, I just like to be kind of um, aligned. I guess I'm obsessive compulsive in that way. Yeah, but, that is uh, a li-
0: that is a little tricky to do. You got to have some starting point to kind of sync everybody together. But uh, and then you uh, so you you started to roll through it, but then you decided you're just going to do it at the at the time you're watching it. Which yeah, I can completely understand that. I've had the same situation. You know, a lot of the podcasts that I do are going through you know old Star Trek episodes or some of the films and. You know, occasionally I try to review it a little bit before I get going, but I, I also find that you kind of lose a little bit of the freshness of it if you're if it comes off too planned. At least I've always been more of a I like the spur of the momentness of it a little bit. There are other podcasts I listen to where sometimes things sound almost a little too a little too rehearsed, like you're reading it off a yeah, page. that Yeah, we already... did
2: that a lot when we did our show. It was kind of. Well, well, not so much rehearsing, but we had a direct plan of exactly, down, down to the jokes, really.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Of, of
2: what we were going to say. Now, how did you it find
0: that, that kind of situation? I mean, was it...
2: Ideal. It, it, was it, yeah. <laughs> it, it, re- it reduced a lot of the stress, because spontaneity, when, when you're doing it on a weekly basis, trying to be humorous is really difficult. It's like a stand-up going on stage, sure, not sure. knowing what his routine is going to
0: be. Yeah, yeah, it's, and just um, kind
2: of picking out people from the audience, going, "Oh, you have a funny hat." Well, I had a funny hat yesterday, and a lot of that, you know. Whatever. Right,
0: and that reminds me of this time when I went out and bought this hat, and yeah, yeah, I know. What you but mean.
2: that has to be planned. Either the person in the audience was put there, or he just said that I'm going to talk about someone with a hat. You know, he has to know he's going to do that when he goes out on stage.
0: Right. So you, as you went through the, this commentary, though, you did have some some background. You'd seen the movie a lot, and you probably in also... excess
2: t- Thirty times, uh, maybe maybe more. With God. <laughs> How about some of the behind
0: the scenes things that you mentioned during the uh, insurrection commentary? Was some of that stuff things that you've just you've read over the years or found out in in different ways?
2: Well, I've read it um, uh, in the various books that I've bought. You know, the glossy books, uh, stuff from you know Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, that kind of stuff. Right. And um, also, uh, just kind of watching the the movie, having the knowledge I do about Star Trek, going, okay, that prop was seen in another movie, and that prop was in this, and,
0: yeah, and was, listening to the imp-
2: music and going, okay, my favorite movie is U.S. Marshals, and this is the same music.
0: Right, I was impressed by the, your references to other episodes and other events in, like, the Next Generation timeline, you know. This was, you know, the, for one example, was the, the thing about Troy and her uniform situation. You know Troy in a uniform versus the Troy, uh, the counselor Troy. You know various outfits she had over the years, and and then you know you you stated, oh yeah, she got her uniform back on, kind of back in this episode, Chain of Command part Chain of one, Command, uh, part which, two, I think, yeah, which was the Jericho uh, guy, right, Jericho, Captain uh, Edward Jellicoe. who Jellico, decided that he worked a little I'm bit I'm sorry, more. <laughs> I'm confusing it with that that CBS TV show that's on now
2: oh, uh, he wanted some formality Jellico. on the bridge or something like that. And he goes, yeah, I'd appreciate it if you'd wear the standard uniform when you're on duty. And she's like, oh, right, would you now? So, well, it's kind of
0: funny in a way when you think about it, because all those years, you know, she's showing up and whatever, you know, like, yeah what, do I, yeah, what do I feel like wearing, you know, this week on the bridge? And everyone else is in their little uniforms. And then he just kind of looks at her on the bridge in that episode and says, well, what are you no, wearing? It's actually you know?
2: in his ready room? I can't believe I remember that. What,
0: what is it? What is this like What is this like casual Friday on the on the Starship Enterprise? Get your uniform on, Troy. You know, get back in your quarters and get a uniform on. So and I kind of yeah, liked well, it when she got a uniform on. I thought that that was uh you know it it, it made it gave, a little yeah, more Yeah, I sense like I liked and, that.
2: It was more um well, I liked Star Trek the later it got in every series. Mhm. Um, yeah. you know like when um one of my favorite episodes of TNG was Descent, where Data goes and joins the Borg with his brother. Right. And um, mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Crusher lore. is left in command of the. Um, Doctor Crusher left in command of the Enterprise, and she has to do all this ingenuity. She takes the Enterprise into the middle of a star, I think, and then blows up the Borg ship that looks like you know some weird crystal thing, and then you know decides to go back and get the captain. But you know the captain leaves a female in charge on the Enterprise, and that's like. What that's never happened before, and she didn't it, even crash
0: right. the ship or anything. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, well, Troy happens to uh, crash the ship whenever she takes the helm.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're not going to let her uh, drive anymore. But so, to expand a little bit about the on the Star Trek side of things, so you you grew up with Next Generation. It sounds mm-hmm. like you've. You've watched all through, uh, well, tell us a little bit about the other, epi- or the other, not episodes, individual, unless you want to, but the other series and what mm-hmm. you think about the, the other Trek series, Deep Space, Voyager, Enterprise, and, and even the original, if you're um, you're up on that and if that's something that you've watched too.
2: Well, um, in 1995, when Voyager started, I was, wow, I was, I was nine years old, but I remember the first day it aired, and... um a caretaker, and I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. This is kind of like TNG, and they have different uniforms, and they were, you know, they were deposited on the other side of the galaxy, and it was kind of like, wow, this is brilliant. And then, you know, the the Maquis and the Starfleet were at each other's throat for the first season or so, right? And then all of a mm-hmm. sudden, everybody started to get along. Everybody and, you was know, all by, buddy, buddy great. Right? By like second season halfway. Um, Chakotay and Janeway had a somewhat interesting love affair on a planet somewhere when the, the when the Voyager flew way off because they had a disease or something? Something like that. Yeah, they like kind of had to
0: leave them there, or uh, I'm trying to recall exactly the circumstances that they got abandoned there. And uh,
2: It was, in my opinion, one of the worst uh, written episodes because it was a convenient way to get them on a planet alone. Right. Uh, and, and, yeah. and I hate it because, as a writer myself, I see little writer devices in TV. I go, oh, I know why you did that, and I don't like it, because I think you could have done it differently. Right. And, and when I watch TNG, and there's episodes like Cause and Effect, where the Enterprise gets blown up three times, I think, in the episode. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. Or maybe four. I know even that one pretty well. um, And um, Brandon Braga wrote that one. And everyone says he's such a terrible guy, and he didn't watch the original series, and he sucks, and this, that, and the other. Yeah. But that was a really, really, really hot episode of TNG. Yeah. Because, I mean, the Enterprise blows up in the first two minutes. It's like, whoa, (laughs) I'm going to watch this one. Yeah. And so that's what it's about, right? It's about making you watch. It's not about honoring the fans, although if I was doing it myself, that's something I would keep in my mind.
0: Yeah, one of the, yeah you mentioned the the writer device thing a little bit. You know, one of my things or uh, problems and things occasionally with not just Star Trek but even any other television series or anything in general is the and I guess I use the term that you just mentioned on that episode, cause and effect. You know, one of the things that I really like about some of the more current series that I enjoy, like Battlestar Galactica, and that is that things change, things evolve, the characters. Aren't the same mm, each week, mm-hmm. you know. There, there well, it's is. It's interesting
2: that you mentioned that, right? There is because, something uh, that yeah. happens to
0: them, and even though I was a, you know, and I am a, a huge fan of the original Star Trek, which is probably the model of like no matter what almost happened every week, the the you know pretty much the crew would be back ship shaped the next week. There would be no real references to what happened before, except little things. Um, well,
2: but, TNG was exact was was the same way.
0: Yes, it was pretty much, and and I think that was Gene Roddenberry's influence to some degree and there there's something to be said for that but i think
2: i think think that when you run uh,
0: seven years i think you need to start having some things start to evolve and change and things start to happen on these shows rather than you know okay here we go again and everyone's the same and no one's upset with anyone and nobody's changed anybody's opinions about everyone you know everyone's exactly the same week in and week out and and that's just kind of unnatural, a little bit. Well, I can
2: explain to you a little bit of why it
0: was. It wasn't sure. really. Sure, I know Run a little or... reasons, but go ahead. Yeah. Uh, go ahead,
2: Sebastian. Uh, I, when I spoke to the editor of Star Trek uh, Monthly magazine, because I'm I'm doing some writing for them. Who is the that? Moment.
0: Dan Dan Madsen, or uh... Uh, no, um, or is it the it new Paul, the Paul new... Simpson? Okay, it's the new one, the one that's being published uh, by Titan, right? The new yeah magazine. Titan. They're actually okay. based here. Yes. And,
2: um, I called the guy and I said, "Okay, this is the story I want to talk about." And it was um why in Star Trek is it required for the writers to write an episode that is contained in the bottle? You throw the bottle out the window, the episode is gone. No one talks about the broken glass. Right. So, um it's self-contained he goes, oh, kind of. you know, it's so self-contained. I talked to Eric Stillwell about it and um we were just, you know, kicking the idea around. And I said to him, why is it so the Enterprise can be, you know, pummeled with torpedoes and Borg ships and stuff? Sure, right. <laughs> yeah. but the next week, they're fine. Yeah. Nobody hates each other, and when Trip accidentally caused that There's person this to commit like suicide, like
0: Starfleet <laughs> cleaning crew that comes in, <laughs> yes. wipes all the all the smoke away and all the stains, and and you know replaces the carpet on the bridge and, and, and the crew members and, and the, and the, crew, and, the shuttle and the crew paints paints the outside of the ship, and everything's all ship-shaped, Like I said, yeah, the next the next week, and go, so go ahead. Well, what, so, what did he have um, to say?
2: Well, we were talking about it, and he goes, "Okay, well, that's the nature of episodic television. There has to be." a containment, because if you understand the writing process, which, I mean, I've studied in great detail, it is done through... Well, there, there was three different ways they did it. One, a staff writer would write, such as uh, someone like uh, uh, Lisa Klink would, would do some writing for Star Trek Voyager. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or um and Braga and Rick Berman would get together and write a whole episode. Right. Or they would have someone from the public... Submit something to the show yep. as a freelance but on a freelance basis, such as the episode um, hmm, "The Bonding" in TNG, which was written by Ronald D. Moore, and that's actually why he got hired by Michael Piller on that show because they were so impressed with his yes, script. Yes, right,
0: I remember that.
2: But um, the the deal is, these people are writing standalone episodes. So all these different freelance writers, they don't know what they're saying. So they're going to line these up. Okay, we're going to air this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one. And they know what the stories are going to be about, so they write them in order. And then they go, okay, well, all these stories are standalone. Because so many people, all these different people wrote them. Nobody actually knows who's writing what, so they don't relate at all. That because they're just in the bottle. You know, on the in the bottle on the shelf, ready to put out, and put on TV.
0: Right. They're not all like I'm not calling one guy and saying, "Oh, by the way, I'm going to blow up, you know, deck five this week, and you can't use deck five anymore when you write your stories because I'm blowing it up." So they can't do that. Everyone's got to, you know, the ship is in place, the main characters are in place, and they have to go with that each time they set off to write a new episode.
2: Absolutely. It's it's more of a. Um... I mean, it happens in the in Voyager so much. The uh, shuttlecrafts get blown up yeah. more than I anything else.
0: Somebody taking—I think there were a few times where I heard of people taking like a having a tally. You well, know, I, I don't um, have time
2: to do that, but yeah. <laughs> I certainly notice it. You know, it's, uh, it's somewhere it's, out it's, there.
0: I bet you, if you if you do a Google search or something, and you know, uh, you know, Star Trek Voyager, you know, uh, Starship uh, shuttlecraft blown up list or something, and there's somebody out there that's got you know, sixty nine shuttlecraft blown up over seven years. You know, where did they get the? Are you sure it's not forty seven? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, there you know,
2: references to forty seven in Star Trek, right?
0: Uh yeah I've heard that a little bit. Uh, why don't you elaborate on that though some more? I mean because the last time I heard I don't know if it's in every series or not.
2: Well, um Brennan Braga started putting the number forty seven in scripts. I oh, it's like And that, then Ronald uh, D Moore started like the twenty
0: three thing they did for that movie recently. So there were so the this number forty seven kept showing up and
2: right and it was like so um uh those uh, shields are down to forty seven percent. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's 47 torpedoes in the bay, right? Or there's you know there's uh, there's 40, 47, 47 aliens
0: left alive on that ship Or 47 some- somehow, crewmen or like. injured in this attack. And- yeah, it's
2: always 47 this, 47 that, and to be honest, it's only because they just put it in there. There's no secret code. People go, oh, is there a secret code? It's really not that difficult to understand. That it's difficult as a writer, which I'm telling you again from personal experience. To come up with a number
0: every five minutes. Sure, because then you have to. I, I could see the, the the simplicity of it. You have to kind of justify it. You have to say yeah. to yourself, "Why okay, were the thirteen hmm. crew
2: members? Why were the thirteen torpedoes?" Yeah, how many well, no por- torpedoes
0: you know? do they normally have? How many have they shot? <laughs> how many would they have left? And if you just well, have this, that's another
2: question with Voyager, isn't it? They seem yeah. to have infinite amount of photon torpedoes.
0: Well, well, given the fact, you know, they had the they had the big problem of. They're out there in the middle of nowhere. There are no star bases nearby. There's no shipyards. There's no space docks. And you know, mm, let's see. They don't just pull into the local, you know, starship uh, Lowe's that's floating out there, you know, in orbit around a planet and buy some new shuttlecraft or torpedoes. So, you know, you, well, there the, are you know, people. That I get thought
2: in- it was really creative when they, when the writers went and got Alice, which was that ship that Tom Paris fell in love with. I thought, you know, this is great. They've got an alien shuttlecraft that they're going to use because they don't have enough. Yes. This is perfect. This is this is reality. This is what they would
0: do. At least there's a little bit something more than just, hey, let's just pop another one out here. <laughs> yeah, let's like pop Voyager's, another one out. Like, like, and I'm
2: sure it fits in the shuttle bay. Yep, yep, the Delta Flyer doesn't, but this one does. You know? <laughs> like what, are those shuttle, mean, the, what
0: are those shuttlecraft doing at night down there in the shuttle bay? Oh, they're making little baby shuttlecraft because we keep <laughs> blowing them up.
2: But, yeah, well, I think that they must have a crew that build shuttlecrafts. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, whatever, but I mean, obviously, it's written, and this is something that I should probably mention. As a Star Trek fan, I I get extremely irritated when people come up with solutions that don't exist to episodes. For example, recently I went onto Memory Alpha, where I'm a, a contributor, um, and people were talking. I went to I'm, I, the story I'm writing involves Donald Kaplan. Who was mentioned in Force of Nature, a season seven episode of TNG, a friend of Geordi LaForge?
1: Right. Okay.
2: So I wanted to have this friend of Geordi LaForge come back, and I wanted someone who had already been established in my script. So I got this guy, and I went and I looked on Memory Alpha to see if there's like any like his date of birth or something on
0: there or something. Sure, if there was anyone that, that some kind of backstory somehow was created <laughs> that you. Didn't... Well, someone
2: certainly created one. And it's really interesting. Uh, Donald Kaplan was stationed on board the Intrepid, apparently, in this episode. But someone decided that because it was so close to Voyager, that was probably the Intrepid prototype for the Voyager. So they start Uh talking about that. And I said said to myself, no. It took five months in 1995 to design the Voyager. They didn't know it was Intrepid class until they were done. This is just malarkey. This is just made-up fuzz. Yes. and that's something I don't yeah. deal well with. You know, I don't make it up. I read what's on the script or on the TV show or in the encyclopedia that was signed by Paramount. Uh, you know, but that's it. That's the only stuff that's official. Well, that's, and once people good, start but, to say that it isn't, you know, they come up with stuff. It's just
0: it's a bit weird. Well, that's a good thing to, or a good thing to maybe spin off and talk about for a second. You mentioned Memory Alpha, and there, you know, there it's a. Uh, Star Trek website a kind of a, a wiki I guess is what is that basically a good term for it of, Absolutely of it's Star a Wikipedia
2: Trek. of Star Trek
0: yeah which it's it's a really neat place and it's a really neat website I'll put a I'll put a link as long and also with your uh, your website's link in the show notes for this uh, podcast but what I wanted to say is you know it's kind of like people talk about Wikipedia these days. How much do you think in, in Memory Alpha are, like, as you would say, this fuzz that people have kind of created, how much is actual, uh, I, I don't know if even calling it fact is correct, but how much is actually things that we're seeing either on an episode or on a, in a movie? Uh, what, what do you think the, the levels of fuzz are on there? And
2: Well, the levels of fuzz, I would say, is around 10%. Um, a lot of the information on Memory Alpha is directly related to dialogue from the show, and I'm impressed with what I find there. And uh, and um, the only thing that really gets to me on Memory Alpha is when people do what I just described, which is that sort of making it up. And right, there's uh,
0: nothing anywhere that has been written down either, or, or exactly seen there or... It,
2: because they didn't get that far. They needed a name the ship in the episode. They called it the Intrepid. whoop de doo There were a lot of Intrepids mentioned in Star Trek TNG.
0: Right. Yeah, definitely. Now, is... um, Does Memory Alpha also contain every bit of knowledge? Because I, what I was going to say is, a lot of the, the Star Trek novels that have been published... Take no, that's exactly... not actually...
2: It's on Memory Beta.
0: Oh, is that on Memory Beta? Okay. Yeah, yeah. The uh, Because, you know, like I was going to say, the the novels, a lot of the novels have done exactly what you're talking about, where they've taken a little bit of something that was mentioned, maybe ah, uh, I, I, you know, on an episode or in a movie, and then they've expanded upon that, or they've used a piece of that in the book form. So, which is
2: fine. I have no problem with that.
0: Right, I have a problem kind of what you're with stating doing it as
2: Star Trek lore. Right. I have a problem with that. It's kind of like, okay, um, this is not what happened because the writers didn't get that far, and if, if it wasn't written. It wasn't written. I think even the Ferengi have said that.
0: Now, is it is it possible on Memory <laughs> Alpha to to do what Wikipedia allows? And is it possible? Do people are they allowed to go in there and? Oh yeah, know, it's
2: all things? editable, uh, completely user editable. Um, so that's how it's made. Did you, so so did you made. take
0: this entry and go in there and, and do a little? Uh, nope, 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 nope.
2: I and, did, and okay. I was I was. Um, it was deleted. It was changed back.
0: Oh, Uh, see, so so there's the higher authority, though that still still can come in and go, you know, slam the door down to some degree. So see, that's
2: I know it's I know this might sound a little bit like um, arrogant presumption, but when somebody comes in who really knows Star Trek TNG pretty well and knows the scripts and knows the writers, some of them personally, and knows why they do certain things, right? And they write, this is why it was like this, and then somebody deletes it. That's why a lot of the writers and stuff and producers don't go on the websites because they just get trampled by these Anorak fans who don't really, you know, appreciate that some people might know maybe what they're talking about.
0: Right. It's a tricky situation because, you know, you and, you know, I I think the I don't know how they normally deal with this on there. But, I mean, it would be nice if it was in like, let's say, for example, you go to the main, you know, the official Star Trek website, StarTrek.com. Mm hmm. You know, there is information on there. If you just search, like, look up James T. Kirk, for example, there will be, I'd say, 90-some percent, because I did a a special podcast where I just did sort of a character profile on Kirk, and I I did a little background, even though obviously I know that character and and the episodes pretty well that he was in, but I'd say about 90-95% of what they actually have on his sort of entry in their little encyclopedia is... Are things that are mentioned, things that you actually seen saw on screen. There is well, absolutely, re- it has, been and then they kind of say
2: things like it's like the doctor's analysis of him or something. Right. There's, it's just little, this, there's little. There's yeah. little to
0: nothing that that somebody just goes, hmm, yeah, I think you know, I'm going to write in here that Kirk really never, he didn't really want to go into Starfleet and, and he wanted to be, you know, uh, a horticulturist. You know, <laughs> e- even though there's nowhere, anywhere that he mentioned that <laughs>
2: set phasers to miracle grow. Right. Exactly. So. <laughs>
0: It's almost, you know, it would be, and and what you're saying, and I think a Memory Alpha and maybe some of these other places, what they may be doing are things like, well, you know, I heard that a writer or a producer told this guy and this, and you heard these things, and this is what I heard about why they use this ship name or why they use this character name or this thing or that. Now, I have, that would be okay, but I think what they need to do is just clearly mark, put it in, uh, you know, yellow text, or change it somehow, or put it down below and say, "And here is you know the background and this, but this is unconfirmed." Or, or you know, something. Well, well it was certainly
2: that. down below, and it was in italics, but it didn't say unconfirmed. It just said it oh, like it was
0: true. Okay, all right. Well, that's interesting. You know, that's uh, it's it's a little tricky situation, and obviously, Star Trek forty years being on the air. You know, hundreds and hundreds of episodes, uh, ten movies. There there's going to be you know, there's a lot there to cover and Oh,
2: absolutely. And, and Memory and people, Alpha is a fantastic resource. It's sure, a brilliant definitely. place. And uh I mean I, I would I'm not in any way trying to degrade the place. I, I love it and it's brilliant that it's there and people really care about it. Really, really care, I tell you. And, yeah, there um, there
0: can be really great things and, and, and I guess it's like anything I always tell uh people, or tell my kids, especially when they do research on the net for School And that I said, you have to be careful a little bit, and you just have to kind of confirm some things and check your facts, and you can't just trust every single little thing that you read, no matter what you know, website it's on. so hey, well, I wanna, yeah, absolutely. I and wanna one thing back, I wanted to just quickly add to
2: the Star thing you were saying. Yes was um, that most recently, I've been in contact with uh, Tim Gaskell, uh, the editor of Star and he's interested in having me doing some updates to their encyclopedia material over there. And uh, so we're talking about that at the moment.
0: Good, so, good. You know, well, That's it's... excellent. That's excellent. They can, uh, you know, I like their website pretty much. I think they could definitely use, um, they could use to jazz up the place, I'd call it, and and, and get it a little bit more. It seems like they, it's been a while since they've really put some strong effort into it. And I know they've been doing some things. I, I talked to um, somebody else that's done some work for them. Uh, Amy Ulin is her name. She's she's done a few articles for them and a few other people, and it, it definitely keeps it uh, interesting. You know, if you can't go to the official website and get the you know some of the best information, that's kind of a little bit sad. It's nice that the net allows you know other sites like Memory Alpha to come along, but I, I think the home website should be pretty pretty up there too on the scale. Absolutely, nothing. You know, it's still a great website and a great resource. They do have a lot of good stuff there. But I wanted to go back to, to get back, we kind of steered off, and, and you talking about the various uh, Star Trek series, what you're familiar with, what you like. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a little bit about Voyager when you first saw that. How about uh, Deep Space Nine, Enterprise?
2: And... Deep Space Nine, I didn't get to see the middle of. I saw the beginning of it, and I don't have a lot of experience with like the fourth season. I kind of saw Starship Down and The Way of the Warrior, and that's just about all I can remember. Okay. And there's lots of episodes in there that I see screen grabs from, uh, specifically to the death. I'm thinking, whoa, look at all those phaser rifles. That must have been a really exciting episode.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: And uh, I never saw that one. But the war at the end of Deep Space Nine I've seen in its entirety. And as I've gotten a little older, I actually understand it as well, knowing my history quite well, the American, you know, uh, cold war and some of the stuff it was based off the, yeah that was, the that was definitely a,
0: a very unique you know situation for star trek and like we were talking about earlier you know that was those seasons the last few seasons uh, as they went on that was definitely breaking the the norm and the mold of these very bottled uh ship in a bottle episodes episodes yeah, well, that what, didn't affect what people each call
2: other. arcs yeah that right. which carried on into enterprise uh, yes, quite they, a bit in the fourth season. And, and, had well, to, actually, in the third season. Sorry, had
0: to keep much. a very tight. Uh, you know, the writing staff there had to be very coordinated. You know, those episodes really did build on each other. It's one of the things I've. Uh, one of the hard things that I've had to, as I as I review and comment and pick episodes week to week and and do them on the podcast. One of the hard things about Deep Space Nine is it, it, there's some really great episodes, some great seasons there, but it's very hard to just grab an episode and talk about it because they're so self or they're so um interconnected to each other.
2: I think the reason that we should probably cover why deep space 9 is um wh- why they could do that on deep space 9 is before the defiant came along. DS9 was stuck in one place. Sure. So everything yes. the enterprise flies from planet to planet. The DS9 is sitting there. So everything has to connect or it just really becomes non-continuous and uh and people are too smart for that you know say um you know dr um not doctor uh, chief o'brien on tng went yeah. kayaking on the holodeck and he broke his shoulder and that guy who could heal with his touch healed his shoulder
1: right yes. and
2: i think he did it again in another episode and in deep space nine he did that as well and they carried it and they actually used it once in an episode called inquisition um where they actually had it be a key plot point, a beat where um, Bashir goes, "Holy crap, you've um, your shoulder's better," and it was a recreation. That's how he realized he was on the holodeck, being tricked by Section 31, and that was the continuation that the Star Trek writers had in DS9 because they even took it from T- you know TNG when Worf and O'Brien would talk about you know remember when we were on the Enterprise and we were fighting the Borg. Mm-hmm. That yeah, kind that's, of stuff. That's what, that's that's what I important. thought
0: was nice about it. I kind of missed that. Uh, I missed that a bit with with Voyager. You know, they 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 didn't really have the connection. There was a pretty good connection between TNG and Deep Space Nine. But but when Voyager, well, they were
2: both in the Alpha Quadrant.
0: Well, well, yeah. But I mean, just in terms of the actors, the crews, the history, they. And I'm trying to recall. Maybe you know or you've heard of something, but. I would have liked to, to have seen them have a connection, and I think they, oh, weren't they going to have like Ensign Roe or something show up and end up on uh, Michelle Forbes on well, Voyager? The, the, yeah.
2: N- I'm trying to recall. It might have been on Voyager, but um, the way it was supposed to play out was at the in 1993 they were casting Deep Space Nine, and they decided that they would like Michelle Forbes to come over to Deep Space and uh, reprise the character of
1: Ensign Rowe
2: She was going to uh, be as like a regular. The, the
0: Kira character. She was going to uh, be yeah, the exactly.
2: on there, right. And yeah. when she refused or her schedule was a little bit screwy or something, um, Kira was created. Right, And right. they didn't need her anymore. But yeah, that the connections was... of Voyager were limited to kind of Tom, Paris, and Harry talking about him, Harry's terrible taste in women. You know, first it was a hologram, then it was the wrong twin, then it was a Borg, and now it's a right. woman from a xenophobic species. Yeah. Yeah. I just watched that episode the other day. I don't have that good a memory. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, things like when Q appears on DS9, and then Q appears on the Voyager, because yeah, he, he, he was, can do whatever he, he wants, around, right?
0: but the, You know, he have got the advantage of a character that can do pretty much anything, so... He's that a that really
2: helps. dangerous character in a story, because... You don't, it, it, what's wonderful when you're writing is the knowledge that your characters have limits. Data can move faster, you can break people's arms, he doesn't fall unconscious when a phaser beam hits him or whatever. Right, right. So he's difficult to deal with. Think about having your main guest star coming in, and you can't hold him in a force field when he misbehaves, you can't shoot him, you, because you'll just turn your phaser into a flower. <laughs> you know, whatever. Right, right exactly. <laughs> well, they did have
0: that one where he lost his powers, where that was, he, he was yeah, on, on yeah. TNG and that that was kind of interesting but you know there is a little bit of a device there where well,
2: yeah gotta... it's difficult to work in groups when you're omnipotent
0: yes no uh, <laughs> let's hit a little bit because I got about uh, I want to wrap this up maybe in about five or so five to ten more minutes but mm-hmm. talk a little bit about Enterprise I know that that's uh, that series you enjoyed as well and and let me know what you think about that and, and what your uh, what your feelings are there
2: yeah I loved Enterprise. Because it came out when I was 15, and I realized that, you know, I realized that that was probably the reason I really, really got all along with Enterprise. I liked the character um, of Jonathan Archer. I thought, this guy's great. He's the coolest captain ever. In fact, he's my favorite Star Trek character
1: ever. Oh, okay. Good.
2: And, And, um... Uh, I, I started watching uh, you know, with uh, Broken Bow. Is it Broken Bow or Broken Bow? I don't know.
1: Yeah, you know uh, what?
0: I think they mentioned it at one point in the episode. But I I reviewed that and talked about that episode. But I always mix that up too. So I, I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, well, I don't know. But I know that the first few episodes of Enterprise, I was so excited. I thought, this is so cool. Yeah, it's, so yep. it's so new to them. It's so – they don't have a clue. They have no rules. They get into – Constant and, and they, trouble, you
0: know, and they gave it a very, uh, what I would say, a, a, a very much, you know, sort of contemporary feeling to the show. Mm-hmm. The people like, like
2: Jonathan Archer would say, "I'm going to kick your ass." I mean, and that's
0: brilliant. They were wearing some casual clothes, <laughs> especially in the pilot, in the first episode, and they looked that didn't look that different than the kind of things we would wear. And they had the little, they had the little baseball caps, like you know, people in the navy or in the military might be wearing. And it was very. You know, I think you could relate to that a little bit better, and, uh, and I think that's
2: probably why I liked it as well. Because at that time in my life, I was thinking, you know, what am I going to do with myself, and and, and it was kind of and you were going to sign up for
1: Starfleet, right?
2: I was, I'm, I'm going to be a Starfleet officer. I'm going to be, you know, the captain of the Enterprise NXO two, you know, whatever. Yes. And uh, it was. Um, uh, it was watching Enterprise and in season 2 it just got better and better and better and season 3 it's kind of like oh right so now you know we're dealing with uh, September 11th kind of the first day of season 3 when the Zindi attacked the Earth.
0: Yeah when there's a big big disaster and the Enterprise yeah. has uh, a limited time to, to solve the problem. Yeah.
2: yeah I thought that was brilliant. I loved Captain Archer trying to uh, you know wrestle with his own morals while dealing with people who were different from him. He
0: had a tough job to do, and, and he was mm-hmm. going to do it almost no matter what it took at that point. So.
2: Which I did I did sort of lose interest uh, with the writing at some point during that, because I was kind of saying you know, I think this is taking a little too far. He did some things like, I think it was the episode where he turned into a creature's mother for some of the Zindi. And I thought that was one of the most poorly written episodes of Star Trek ever, where he relieved everybody and had them locked up, and Major Hayes was in command of the Enterprise, and I just thought, this is garbage. Right, yeah. And then when Brent Spiner came on in Season 4, I was just in my element again, because Data is one of my favorite characters, and he was back, and yeah, people Brent's were throwing great, yeah. Archer around, and, you know, what was it, the, uh, the, they were like Khan, weren't they, those people?
0: Yes, yes, they were the, you, you know, part of the eugenics thing and the, and the genetically engineered people. Yeah, I, lo- I loved how they were in fourth season, were able to bring in some old elements from the original series. Now, are you, uh, are you a fan? Have you watched much of the original series?
2: I've probably watched about 20 episodes of the original series, and I loved what I saw. I thought it was just, you know, really fun, but I don't see it as any more than fun. I don't see it as intellectual like yeah. TNG or yeah. DS9 or whatever.
0: I think it's something that you really had to maybe, you know, I, since I saw, you know, that was what I grew up with and, and watching that in reruns, you know, it, it it had a lot more of an influence on myself. And I, I tend to find that even though I still find people that are, are are younger and are into it and like it, but I think there's, you know, things have become a lot more complicated, a lot more sophisticated these days they're very they're very simple stories when it comes down to it from the original series, and I'll you know I'll admit that freely, even though I really love the show. It's well, very, Captain very... Kirk seems
2: to fall in love with every alien yeah. female. Yeah. Well, that's he meets, the constant.
0: Uh, like... That's the constant little you know thing that goes on with Kirk and Spock's always the cool, logical one. McCoy's the one that gets all worked up. So it's but it's a um...
2: damn it, Jim. We're on TV. Get yeah. used to it. I think the thing about the original <laughs>
0: series is it's it's I think it's a little bit more about the the characters and things than maybe even some of the individual episodes and stories, even though some of those are still i think classics but that that original group of three and then some of the the other characters on the bridge just had a certain kind of you know connection You're for like
2: chemistry or something yeah
0: ke- chemistry, which I think they really. They were able to do, you know, one of the things about Star Trek that's always impressed me is that, you know, even the, all the subsequent series, I think they they were able to do that again, uh, sometimes to a greater or a lesser degree. I think the Next Generation especially, they did a great job with that. I mean, they, they really picked people that were good for the roles. They really ended up, I think, liking each other, you know, off camera, and it comes through. There, there's no doubt about, you know, when you have a team that works well together that it comes out in the episodes.
2: Well, TNG was famous for the whole family routine on the set. Uh, I think one of the things that they always point out is the absolute lack of mutual respect, but they always got the work done right uh i mean I understand that some directors actually left the set and said you know what uh, I can't work with these people they're sure too I've heard silly. that.
0: i've heard that quite a few times these guys <laughs> they're just you know they're off the they're off the handle they're they're crazy and i
2: well I, I, how can you be serious when you're talking about a blue panel in front of you sir the romulan warbirds activating a tachyon pulse
1: well,
0: it's and right, i think it's we're exactly, all gonna die Even, you know? even <laughs> about the, the, the hundredth time you've said that you know over a hundred different episodes it, it becomes uh, you're kind of like you. You step back once in a while and you look at yourself and guy, "I'm sitting here in my pajamas, pushing little fake plastic buttons, and you know whatever." It becomes very silly. You just- oh yeah,
2: I mean, I remember trying to do it um, right with you know friends who would film little Star Trek episodes. And yes, it was like um, yeah, uh, you know, there's a quantum singularity disturbance off the starboard bow, but you just looked left. <laughs> it's funny you know yes, <laughs> you just break exactly. down and then you can't get back up again and i'm surprised that the actors could hold a straight face and yeah. i remember a specific time in voyager i'll just uh mention this and i'm sure you want to want to wrap things up don't you uh but um the you know the captain proton uh, episodes uh, they were trying to get seven of nine to play constance goodhart And so she's like, the robot's coming towards her. She goes, I'm Borg. And she opens and she rips the wire out. And she goes, the robot's been neutralized. Can I leave now? And she kind of looks at Tom Paris. And you could just see that Jerry Ryan is just breaking up in laughter. Right, yeah. She's just about to just fall on the floor and laugh. And Tom comes over and says, come on, the galaxy's at stake or something. And he's, you know, just about to break into laughter too. And It's just hilarious some of the stuff they have to say.
0: Yeah, and it's so you know, it's so far off the off from the norm of uh, you know, a normal life or 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 what you might experience, you know, like a police show or a lawyer type show. That it's even very... though those
2: are pretty far out sometimes too. Well but yeah. Like that's... you you mentioned in your commentary of Shuttle Pod one, um, that they it's so nice to see the characters eating. Sure. They're just sitting there eating. Yep. I mean we all eat. In fact we eat three times a day, so we eat a lot. So yeah, how come the, the Star Trek people never eat? <laughs> right, it was one
0: of the things that I really liked that they they brought that into uh, they brought it into TNG when they got ten forward. They uh, they had the little mess deck on Voyager and deep but space nine. They always ate weird
2: had, food on, on TNG though, didn't
0: they? Well, I'm trying to re- you know, Well, they never. They were mostly drinking. <laughs> you know, most of the time <laughs> yeah. ten forward wasn't so much about eating. It was usually you know synthahol. Give me a synthahol or. Or give me uh, prune juice if I'm Worf, and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it wasn't usually so much about yeah I'll take a steak and uh, a yeah, because I- you
2: have to remember it's a drama and all ten forward is is a place a stage to set up something to happen in the story sure like sure. The, like you see the quantum singularity thing in yesterday's Enterprise at the front you know and Worf's there drinking his prune juice the only reason we're there is because we wanted them to see it out the window
0: yes. Yeah. And,
2: and 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 I always and you know, do the
0: little guinin thing, like ooh, something seems to be wrong. I'm guinin. I can tell these things. So yeah,
2: yeah. I don't know why, but I wear trash cans on my head. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Where does she get those hats? I don't know. Hey, um, yeah, Sebastian. I just, uh, it's been great chatting with you. We're gonna have to definitely do this some more sometime. But I, I, I just wanted to give you a chance here at the end. Uh, as far as uh, you know, we've covered a lot of different things, Star Trek, some of the things that you've been doing on your your website and your background, but was there anything else that we didn't get a chance to get to that you want to just sort of mention? uh, Sure, I'd
2: love to just give you a a one-minute summary of one of the amazing things I've been, so I think it's amazing, working on recently. Sure, go ahead. Uh, It's come uh, to my attention uh, through speaking with Eric Stilwell that uh, the uh, executive producer and writer of Star Trek TNG, Michael Piller, uh, wrote a book about his making of Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, which was never published. Uh, oh, it was okay. uh, it was all you know hush hush. That was he was going to write this book and it never got out there. And unfortunately, Michael Pillar died in November two thousand and five. And one of his final requests to one of his assistants was by Hooker, by Crook, get this book published. So I'm talking to Eric Stillwell on during our interview. It, it, you may not believe this, guys, but Eric and I got on the phone at five p.m. At night, and we didn't get off the phone till one in the morning. We had so much to say, (laughs) and it wasn't like one of us was doing all the talking. It was just like it was just like meeting of the minds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. uh, Yeah, and we started talking about Michael's book, and he goes, "Well," and he he goes, "I'll send it to you." And so I got the manuscript in my email, two hundred ninety-eight pages, and um, I said, "Okay, I'll produce it." So that's what I'm doing. Um, I'm I'm getting Michael's book out there online because Michael's request was to make it on the internet as a PDF. Oh, we're getting okay. some images together, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna publish it. And the scariest thing is, guys, <laughs> this Star Trek fan who is a writer gets to write a forward in a book by Michael Pillar. Well,
1: that is just very very
0: amazing. Cool. <laughs> so this uh, so this has been with the obviously with the support of was was Eric uh, the sort of custodian of this you know the manuscript itself or is he working with the the family of michael pillar
2: um basically it was given to him uh by michael and he told him to publish it and he just hasn't gotten
1: around to it okay All right. so he's
2: like he so he kind of gave it to me and said you know maybe it's uh, you know uh, a kick in his complacencies uh to do it and that well, you know that i kind of came along that's but,
0: great now is uh What's the status of that as far as are you doing edits on the book or is anyone doing any any cleanup or any additions or is it pretty much uh, the book is set and you just have to get the, the technical details worked out of how to do it and where to do it? To...
2: Well, what we're trying to do is we're going to get together. Um, I see Eric's on vacation at the moment. He's gone for a couple of weeks. And um, when he comes back, he and I are going to delve straight into it because he's actually starting some new work and won't have a great deal of time. So... What we're going to do is we're going to get it out there, but there are some edits I am going to make for, you know, um, just common sense kind of stuff. Uh, there's some certain things that have been said in the book that I don't think necessarily need to be made public, which may have been one of the reasons that the book was not published. Right, um, right. Uh, so I'm removing those things, but partly because um, my name's also on it. And I might like to work with some of these people as well. Right. Now, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, just, I'm uh,
0: assuming that that, that uh, Paramount or CBS or both entities have to have, still have final say and final approval on this whole situation. This what you're doing?
2: Um, it since it's like being published online, it's it's really not we're not selling it, so it doesn't really. It's kind of like New Voyages.
0: Oh, okay. You guys are doing this strictly to just get it out there. You are not going mm-hmm. to. St- you know, have a here's a website link. You go here to you know. I know they have downloadable books. Sometimes audio form. Sometimes just that's text. what it will
2: be, but it will be free. No, but it will be it free. Will, no one is oh, making well, any uh, money on
0: this. I think people listening will love that, of course. But uh, you know, for your for your work and your effort, I I I guess I had just assumed it might be some small charge or whatever.
2: Oh no, uh, we can't. Oh, well, I would never see. This is um. This is my gift to Michael for what he gave to me, which is the well, desire right. and that's love to be a writer and Star Trek
0: person. You know? Well, definitely, absolutely. I mean, do you have any kind of timetable uh, that you think? Is it going to be sometime this year you think it will get out there, 2007? or
2: Oh, absolutely. Oh, definitely before the end of the year.
0: Okay. well, definitely Hopefully
2: within the next few months, but keep, don't hold uh, me to it. And keep um, myself,
0: keep me informed, and I'll keep the people that uh, listen to my podcast at least informed and the website and, and all of that, and we'll, we'll look forward to that. That's a great... Uh, great thing to be able to do. You know, I've really kind of missed they haven't been real consistent about publishing uh, in any form some of the, you know, making of this movie or making of the series. You know, it's kind of had its ups and downs. They've done some really good ones and put out some good information. Uh, on, well, it should, on it should
2: it it it. be noted that, I mean, I mean, not not to interrupt you, but no, go ahead. Uh, uh Judith and Garfield Reef Stevens are scheduled for an interview for my blog where we're going to talk about the books that they wrote that have helped me and other fans, I would imagine, um, wanna do wanna do what they're describing in the books, you know, the continuing mission, the making of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Without the book, The Making of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, I would not be sitting here talking to you
0: right now. Great. Well that yeah, I've got that book over on my shelf. It's just about ten feet away from me and uh it's that's a great book. I I was actually I was about to mention that's one of to me you know, the better jobs, at least along the lines of showing people what, it, you know, what went into the various episodes, what went into the series versus, you know, like, for example, Voyager. I don't think they did a very good job and Enterprise is I don't know, pretty much non-existent, I would say. Well,
2: Pocket Books has absolutely no plans in um, publishing non nonfiction um, Star Trek material at all
0: yeah which is disappointing you know because this is this is a uh a franchise and an entity where people really like to get into that kind of that aspect the thing you've been talking about the thing that you're interested in a lot versus you know who's gonna buy a book on how cSI you know is made I don't know maybe i would be some... I, I would well yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> you see I, I, it's not just star trek i I should probably mention that. Um, Well, I think think
0: what I probably meant to say more, I don't think the history has been shown, you know, of, of, you know, Star Trek has a basically a huge built in fan base that people know there are people out there that will buy these things. I'm not sure with some other shows, movies and so forth that they feel it was pretty traditional, you know, for a long time Mm -hmm. that, you know, Star Trek was one of the few uh, pieces of entertainment out there that you could find out this kind of information how did they do that effect? How did, they, how did they do this? How did this script get written? Ooh, can you even get a script? You know, it's, it's a I actually rarity. have two
2: signed scripts sitting right here. I've got, because my friend Dennis Madelone, um,
0: I actually put these down here for the interview just so I could mention them at some
2: point. Uh, just uh, he's, he's such a great guy. I interviewed him July last year, and we've remained in contact every week, really, since then. And, you know, we're, we're pretty good buddies by now. And he sent me a couple of signed scripts. Uh, the Seizure AR five five eight, which was my favorite DS nine episode.
0: Ah, I remember that one. Isn't yeah? That's a great episode.
2: Yeah, uh, he, he's one from the set, so it's got all the stuff about the stunts. And that episode was really stunt laden, so this, yes, this script is completely covered in it. And, and another episode um called um, First Contact from Star Trek TNG, um which also had some pretty big stunts in it where Riker was transformed right, when he was into on a that. something in an alien right he was on that <laughs> yeah. planet
0: where they were thinking of making first contact with them and they had him sort of yeah, yeah. in the the typical what i call the typical TNG let's give him a funny nose and a funny forehead kind of alien look
2: yeah so, alien um, of the week kind of thing
0: i want to make the, i want to see a TNG someday or a star trek movie or if they do a new series sometime you know just give him like a funny different hand you know or <laughs> well it, look, it should be mentioned that you know when i was
2: talking to Ron, Moore, Ron B. Moore, last yes, week, visual B., effects not, guy.
0: Not to be confused with Ronald D., which I did earlier. <laughs> well,
2: there's two funny stories about him, actually. He said that he got the check for Ronald D. Moore once. He went to him and said, that's the last time I'm ever bringing you a check. <laughs> Get it sorted out so they don't misdeliver it. <laughs> and Because uh, he goes, there's not a bank in this town that wouldn't cash this check for me. They don't look that closely at the middle initial.
0: Yeah, exactly, yeah. And, and the That's other funny. thing... Um, I got a check one time where my last name was spelled wrong, and they still cached it. Oh, really?
2: Yeah, oh, gosh. yeah
0: exactly. So, it's yeah, you're right. They don't look all that close sometimes.
2: And, and the, what, what Ron said to me something that I had not thought of, and that is they may have plans, they may, not saying that they do, to upgrade the effects in Star Trek TNG for a future DVD release. Well... So that all the effects are newer ones.
0: Well, you know, it's it's. I blame uh, good old George Lucas of Star Wars for this whole "let's change the effects" thing, and 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 have all the all the suckers and poor exactly. Star Trek fans oh. have to go out and buy <laughs> these DVDs again. So, yeah. Well, you Lucas, know what it is.
2: I I, I I cannot stand upgrading stuff because TNG is the way it is when it was made, and you can feel the cheapness of the effects, or you can feel why it was done, and it's a swirling. Uh, sparkles in some water to make yeah. a transporter whoop-dee-doo it's beautiful
0: it's, yeah, it, I it's can handmade buy it. and i and i've talked about it on the show a few times you know the original series I'm, I'm kind of okay with and they've been doing a pretty smooth and nice job with some of the effect upgrades there and and there is a lot you, know, you can really there's a lot of upgrading that could be done with that show 40 years ago versus present day but you know the next generation. We are coming up on its. You know it is having like its twentieth years, which is surprising to me. Twenty years ago, in 1987, was when it first came on. So twenty years, yeah. There's a lot of technological changes and computer generated images that could be inserted. But you know, folks, it doesn't really look that bad. I mean,
2: no, it does. It, well, you know something. I believe it looks a little money hungry. In motion me, control, in motion it, control.
0: You know, it looks it, it starts to look more to me, you know, with Paramount and CBS, looks more money-hungry to me than somebody who's really doing it for sort of artistic reasons or artistic purposes, but just like exactly. George Lucas in yeah. yeah. that 100th uh, Star Wars DVD re-release. So, uh, hey, we got to wrap it up, but stay on the line, Sebastian. And I want to just say again, thanks very much for taking some time to talk to me today and everyone that's listening to the show and the podcast uh Really, really had a great time, but stay on the line, and I will be right right back.
2: Okay, thanks, Rick. It's been wonderful. I've had a great time.
0: Yeah, it's been great. We'll have to do this again soon. So hang on the line, and I'm just going to stop the recording. I'll be right back. Will do. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. You said don't talk fast, and that's how you show excitement. All right, talk a little okay. faster. Though. Okay. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. This podcast, copyright 2007, all rights reserved.